finish up Galatians today. Of course, uh, I'll be gone next week, and then the following week we'll begin the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea, we have a tendency, I have this habit, uh, be it a good one or a bad one, I don't know, uh, to go New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. So we're going to go back into the Old Testament uh, and look at the book of Hosea uh, starting in two weeks from now. Uh, So Galatians chapter 6 will be in verses 11 uh, through 18. This is the word of the Lord. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the word, excuse me, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. There are many times in the course of a conversation or a lecture or even a sermon uh, where we might use some sort of verbal cue To emphasize the importance of something, Uh, sometimes we exaggerate to make a point. This is the best thing I've ever eaten. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. We often, if we consider the situations in which we use those words, we don't really mean this is the best thing, as in I've never eaten anything at this moment that has been better than the food I'm eating right now. Nor do we, when we say this is the worst as my kids like to say, worst day ever, uh, nor do they really mean that it is actually the worst day ever. They're just trying to communicate, and I, uh, similarly when I do that, uh, I'm trying to communicate that we're not happy or we are happy. Sometimes we do other things. Perhaps as a pastor I can be accused of raising my voice to dramatic effect. Listen to what I'm saying now. I'm talking loudly. I know that as a father, I get accused of that, raising my voice to get a point across. We live in a text-based society. Maybe we put something in all capitalized and we're, listen to me, I'm all caps now. Or we put eight exclamation points to say, I'm really emphatic what I mean here. The, the point in all of this is there's times where we use verbal cues to say, hey, listen up, listen to what I'm saying right now. And this is what Paul does here. He's trying to get our attention. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing you? And according to the custom at this time, more than likely at this point, up to this point, Paul has been dictating to a secretary his letter. He's been verbally speaking it, and it's been been written down by his secretary. Uh, There was another word for it, which I'm not even going to try to say because I always butcher it, uh, but secretary is a good enough word. Um, But at this point, he says... Okay, give me the pen. No longer do I want you to write this down. I'm going to write it down in my own hand. And he says, look, this is me writing. Pay attention to what I'm saying. 
I think this is very important that I'm no longer going to have him write it down. I'm going to write it down. And at this point, Paul is giving his summary of the whole of Galatians. What has been my point? What do you need to understand? And as we've gone through this whole, whole book, we've seen it from the beginning, we're seeing it all the way to the end, we're reminded of the fact that these Judaizers have come into the church. They have wanted to bring the law of Moses to the Gentile Christians. They have been denying justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. <clears throat> so as we come to this text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see boasting in the flesh, boasting in the cross, and boasting in Christ. Boasting in the flesh, boasting in the cross, and boasting in Christ. As I've said, Paul once again restates why he has written this epistle. It is those who want, this is verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's combating once again these false teachers who have crept into this, to the church, these people from uh, Israel, from Jerusalem, who are coming to the Galatians and saying, yes, you have Jesus, and that's good. Yes, you believe in the cross, and that's good. Yes, you believe in the resurrection, so do we. Uh, but let me tell you what else you need to be a true Christian. You need circumcision. In essence, you need the law of Moses. This became a prerequisite for salvation. They have turned the gospel into Christ plus law. And as Paul will say, the problem's not circumcision itself. He says circumcision doesn't matter, neither does uncircumcision. That's not the point. The problem is, is that you are compelling people, or these people are compelling you to follow the law. And this is a problem. It doesn't matter if it's in Galatia uh, when Paul wrote this letter or if it's here today. If anyone comes to you and is trying to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a problem. And Paul begins to discern their true motives here. And there, there's kind of two motives that he gives them. First, he says, they're doing this because they don't want to suffer persecution. They're trying to avoid suffering persecution for Jesus Christ. That's what he says as he continues in verse 12. And in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Because the reality is this, when we think about or excuse me, when we think about persecution in the early church, where do we tend to immediately go? Rome, right? We think about the Romans, we think about the Colosseum, we think about these lions who are eating Christians, we think about the uh, Roman uh, crosses where they would hang them and burn them. But really, the earliest persecution in the church came from who? The Jews. As they came, as they stoned Stephen, as Paul himself, when he was still called Saul, was going to Christians' houses and pulling them out of their houses. And if you were a Jewish Christian, there could be a temptation to not want to die. Right? That maybe sounds too simplistic. That, that's true for all of us, right? We have this uh, self-preservation in us where we don't want to die. And so they made this leap to say, well, if we, yes, we can follow this man Christ, 
But if we also follow the law of Moses, then maybe this will appease our Jewish brethren. If we can do what they're telling us to do as well, if we can add the law to Christ, then I don't have to suffer. Yeah, we still keep feast days. We're circumcised. We're still doing all these other things. And it makes it even better if they can go to the Gentiles who are calling themselves Christians and get them to do the same. Because in essence, when a Gentile became circumcised, what did he become? A Jew. That was the mark of Judaism. You want to, you want to, you uh, foreigner want to become a, a national? Then you must be circumcised, you and your household. It would have been appealing to appease this crowd. So they urged circumcision but in doing so they were changing the terms of salvation salvation as we've said no longer comes through Christ's work alone salvation comes through Christ's work and your work working together And the problem with this is it says that Christ's works is insufficient. The problem is, is that they were motivated by fear, not by faith. They feared the world. They feared their Jewish brethren, what they might do to them. Because here's the reality of the cross. The cross has this way of inviting persecution. If we were to go out from this place today and we were to go find someone who is an unchurched person and we're going to tell them and they say to us, they say, tell me about this thing, the cross. I see you wearing it around your neck. I see it on all these kind of Christian things. What is the cross? And you say, well, in the cross, you see that you are a sinner, a wicked, evil person who is an enemy of the God of the universe. And there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. There's not, you can't be good enough. You can't be nice enough. You can't be special enough. You can't text enough Red Cross things and give enough $10 uh, donations to whoever to satisfy your wickedness. And so what you need is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he died for your sins. And it's not about what you do at all. It's about what he did. And Applying what he did, and people are like, "Ah, I don't like that. And not only do I not like the sound of it, I don't like you for telling me that I'm not a good person. And since I don't like what you've said, I'm now going to bring persecution to you. Of course, they're not going to say it that way, but that's the the end of it. The cross invites persecution. People don't like being told that they're wrong. Uh, That's true across the board, right? Do you like being told that you're wrong? I don't like being told that I'm wrong. Ask my wife. She'll tell you I don't like being told that I'm wrong. I almost never respond well the first time she tells me I'm wrong. Almost never. I try to come back and say, okay, you're right. But when she says the wrong, I'm like, no. (laughs) Get out of my face. That's not exactly what I say. It's my face says get out of my face. So they wanted to avoid persecution, but not only this, they want to boast in your flesh. This is weird, right? What does this mean, boast in your flesh? 
we don't have to go any further than what circumcision is, right? There's a literally boasting in the flesh, boasting in the circumcision, and that circumcision becomes a mark of a convert, in essence. So they were literally counting the flesh of the people they've convinced of this idea. Now, we don't do this the same way, but we still do this today. And how do we boast in the flesh? If you ever get a bunch of pastors in a room, which I avoid at all costs, um, there's something that tends to happen. Well, how's your church going? And sadly, it tends to go several, two places more than anywhere else. Well, our averagely attendance on a Sunday morning is this. And what are we doing? We're boasting in flesh. Because it's not about how God's working amongst those people. It's saying, hey, we got 100 people here. We have 200 people here. God must be blessing us, right? And the second way I think it most often goes, our budget just is growing and growing. We boast in our money. It's no different really than what's going on here. They were boasting in the number of converts they made. And this tends to be a mark of false religion, getting caught up in externals like attendance figures and worship practices and money. Our faith, true faith, should not ever be based on outward works. Outward works come with faith. Paul has shown us this, but it should not be based in that. It should be based on inward faith. And Paul reveals to us the irony of these Judaizers, the great irony of what they're trying to teach is that they can never practice what they preach. They're preaching law. It, it were to be as if I came up here this morning and said, okay, I, I as your pastor, now I'm going to give you the secrets of the Christian life. I am going to give them to you, and if you follow these things, then you will do, you will do well. And then I proceeded, maybe I had a great PowerPoint up here, it was flashy and Things came zooming in off the side, right? And I said, read your Bible every day. And I said, give $5 to someone once a week, to someone in need. And I just get this list of bullet points. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? <laughs> over and over and over again. And I said, if you do these things, Jesus will love you. Here's, the, here's the, the sad reality, right? Because if I did that right here, if I set a rule, list of rules that you should follow every day, I would be standing here as a hypocrite asking you to do something that I couldn't myself do. I can't keep the law. I cannot perfectly keep a set of rules. If I came here and said, don't ever get mad at someone, I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty. We can't keep... The rules, we can't keep perfectly these things. We sin each and every day. Again, the problem's not the law itself. The problem's not the rules necessarily. The problem is sin. It cannot save us because we cannot perfectly do them. And it's no wonder that Paul is opposing these Judaizers at every turn because they are setting up this religion for people that is empty and meaningless. They are saying, let me put you upon this faith that re is relying on self, but ultimately leads to destruction. 
Paul sees this and he goes, no, no, you cannot take people from Jesus and put them on this path of self-righteousness. So he opposes them. We, to, we in the church today have to make sure that we're not boasting in the flesh. That we're not boasting in our own self-righteousness. That we don't boast in our own knowledge of spiritual things. That we don't boast in a way that we perceive ourselves to be any different than someone else. Oh, and this is a subtle thing, isn't it? What do you have in your heart that makes you better simply based upon the way you look than someone else? Because maybe they don't have the right kind of clothes on. Because maybe they don't, they have a tattoo and that means something. Maybe they have piercings or other things and we boast in ourselves because we are not like them. We perceive ourselves to be better than others, no matter what it may be. But we can also do this externally to one another. Let me tell you about what I did today. I helped this person. I, was, I just, they were in need and I went. I was just so good today. If I go to, I go to Presbyterian this Tuesday, if I go to Presbyterian and say, we had a, just, I mean, look at this place. We almost have no seats left this Sunday. Boast in the numbers of people we have here. This is not the measure of our faith. We must oppose this mentality at every turn. But if this is not the measure of our faith, what is? What should be the measure of our faith? And this is what Paul says next. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, don't boast in the flesh. Boast in the cross. This Greek word for boast, is, it's really hard to translate because there's no exact equivalent. Boast, as I say it, is not even a good word for it. It means something almost close to bragging, but not even quite bragging. John Stott says it this way. It means to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our intention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Do you obsess in the cross? Have you ever known anyone to obsess in anything? Have you been a person who obsesses in anything? And we all, I think, obsess in different things. Um, my vein, my guilt is Legos. You know this about me. It has not been the first time I've admitted this to you as a congregation. You know. Mark's shaking his head at me. He knows. My obsession is Legos. I love Legos. I hoard Legos. I spend too much money at times on Legos. My wife's nodding her head. She calls it our, our nest egg. One day she'll sell them all off and make lots of money. <laughs> I, I know, Nate, it's, it hurts my heart too. <laughs> and we all have different things like this. Maybe you work on cars and you spend your time and effort in repairing a car. 
Maybe you're a gardener and that's your thing and you like to go and work in the garden. And we can take these things too far at times. They become our obsession. And Paul says that he obsesses in the cross. Think about that. Putting all your time and energy and effort in the cross. He refused to live for any of the things people usually live for. He didn't boast in popularity or intellect or influence. He didn't boast in his own accomplishment. He boasted in the cross, which there, there may be today we say that, and it's not overly controversial. We sanitize the cross a lot, right? This is a beautiful cross. It's made out of nice wood, good, clean lines. The cross, though, if you were to say it in Paul's time, was not beautiful, was it? It's not something you would have shaped into metal and put around your neck. It's, not, it's simply not. It was the most torturous device for killing people that had been invented at that time. That's simply what the cross is. To the Jews, it was a sign of oppression of Roman rule. If we do something they don't like, they can put us on the cross. To the Romans, it was just a form of torture. And Paul says, I boast in that. The cross should have been an embarrassment to the early church. It was, for the Jews, it wasn't just a, a sign of torture. It was being accursed. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. It was a sign of God's judgment. But instead of reviling it, Paul celebrates it. He boasts in the cross. And, and he goes as far as to say it's the only thing we can boast in. Because the cross is the means of our redemption. It is where we find forgiveness of sins. It's where we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, removing our guilt, reconciling us to our God. And at the end of the day, and David always comes back to this, we either glory in Christ or we glory in self. It's either being one of his or not being one of his. Glorifying in the cross is to stop trusting in our own merits our own church attendance, our own worship style, our own devotional habits, and it's about trusting in Christ alone. The Galatians had to make a choice. Are you going to trust in the cross or are you going to trust in your circumcision? Are you going to trust in Jesus or are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in the cross of Christ where it says Jesus did it all? He is the only and total basis for your salvation. Again, John Stott says it this way. The truth is that we cannot boast in ourselves and in the cross simultaneously. If we boast in ourselves and in our ability to save ourselves, we shall never boast in the cross and in the ability of Christ crucified to save us. We have to choose. Only if we humble ourselves as hell-deserving sinners shall we give up boasting of ourselves, fly to the cross for salvation, and spend the rest of our days glorifying in the cross. 
Are you boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ? Or are you still boasting in yourself? We have to understand it's not about what we do. It's not about what we earn. It's all about Jesus. His life of perfect obedience. His obedience that led him to the death on the cross. His resurrection and conquering of death. It's the only thing we can boast in. In the work he's done in us, not in anything we have done in ourselves. Because boasting in the cross means we're boasting in Christ. And we are called to boast in Christ. Boasting in Christ means we live the crucified life. Because in Christ, we see one who died for our sins. And when we put our faith in Christ, we gain all that he has done for us. And the world stands in contrast to this. All the godless values and hopeless pleasures of this age. Those who seek their own desires. Uh, and the Christian still struggles in this. But we're no longer to think how the world thinks. We're no longer to desire what the world desires. Because we no longer need the world. We just need Jesus. Paul has told us earlier in Galatians that we must be crucifying the flesh. We must be mortifying, putting sin to death in our lives. Crucified, Paul says, uses this word in verse 14. The world has been crucified to me. And this word, this Greek word is in the perfect tense. We don't do tenses really in English. Um, you may learn them as a child. If you ask me to do the tense of a sentence, I'd probably mess it up. Royally, we forget. But the perfect tense is a past event that has future implications. So when Paul says crucified here, he's not merely meaning in the past tense. He's saying, yes, it has been crucified in the past, but it also has future consequences the world has been crucified to you. It has been put to death to you because Christ has died for it. And that means you are continuing in the future to put the world, the flesh, to death. It has ultimate consequence in Christ's return when he will glorify us. At the cross then, circumcision becomes irrelevant. What counts is not the law, but a new creation. When we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we are turned into the new person. This is something we call in the church uh, regeneration. You have been uh, experienced regeneration. The new man has come. The old has been put to death. Paul says in 16, and for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. A rule, as is used here, is a norm or a principle. Those who walk by this principle of Christ crucified, not by the rules of circumcision or the law. Those who walk by the rule of the cross means they're a new creation. That they are the Israel of God, the church of Jesus Christ. 
From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul goes on to say, I'm going to boast in Christ, and I'm going to boast in the marks of Jesus upon me. This word here for marks is the Greek word stigmata. Uh, When Paul says that he has the stigmata of Jesus, he's not in movies or in TV shows. You might hear the stigmata where there's, you have wounds in your hands like that of Jesus. This is not what he's talking about here. Uh, He's literally, though, talking about marks that he has bared upon himself for Christ. And Paul had received many wounds. He had been stoned and left for dead in Lystra. He had been... uh, beaten with the 40 lashes minus one, I think three times. And these have become for him a badge of faith in Christ Jesus. John Calvin says this, for even as earthly warfare has its decoration with which generals honor the bravery of a soldier, so Christ our leader has his own marks of which he makes good use in decorating and honoring some of his followers. These marks, however, are very different from others, for they have the nature of the cross. In the sight of the world, they are disgraceful. For Paul, he bore physical wounds, but he also bore spiritual wounds. For us, it's the same. You may not, at this point in your life, be called to bear physical marks for Jesus, but you certainly have been called to bear other wounds. As you are rejected by this world, as you feel their sting and bite. But we are to proudly bear these marks for Jesus Christ. They may seem disgraceful to this world, but they are precious in the sight of God. As we endure suffering for the sake of Jesus, they are precious to him. If you have died with Christ then you must live for the cross. We have sung these words here. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, and how, do, how did we describe this? My richest gain, no matter what in this world I gain, I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast safe in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, all the things of this world, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm, were everything of nature mine, and were a present far too small, so love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The cross of Jesus Christ demands all from us. Nothing in this world compares with the cross. This is what Paul would have us remember. This is what is so important to him that he takes the pen and he writes it down. He says, listen. Listen to what I'm saying. This world holds nothing for you. The cross of Jesus holds everything. Leave the world. Cling to the cross. Boast only in this. 
not in your flesh. Don't let anyone deceive you. Bear the marks of Christ on your body. Boast in them. Be ready for hardship for the sake of the gospel. Living the Christian life will cost you something, but no more than it costs Jesus. It may cost you friends. It may cost you family. You may be mocked. You may be persecuted, but cling to the cross. You may even be called to receive physical wounds for the sake of the cross. And we know certainly there are places in the world today where that is happening. People are being uh, rounded up and murdered. They are losing their life for the sake of his name. We cannot be timid in our faith. We have to stop being lazy in our faith. We must boldly live, even in the face of persecution, even when it costs us our very life. Do not boast in the flesh. Understand this world is empty. Understand it's not about what you think you can accomplish for the kingdom. It's what he has accomplished for you. It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about what he has done. It's about justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. He is the author, the perfecter of our faith. In the end, our faith amounts to this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is why we come to this building. It's not so you can say that you were here. It's not so that you can appease someone. It's for Jesus alone. It's why we come to this table. It's not mere ritual. It's not something that we just do and is half-hearted or whatever. It's something that is important. It says, this is Jesus Christ. This is what the marks of the cross mean. His body broken. His blood poured out. It's all about Jesus. This is what this table says to us. It's about what he has done. It's about him. It's about the grace that he has given to us. And we are to be reminded of that grace. We are to feed upon him. We are to have his grace and mercy applied to our hearts and to our lives. And then we're to go out and we are to boast in it. I boast not in this world. I boast not in its accomplishments or its fancies or its desires. I boast in Jesus no matter what that means. No matter if it means I have to take a stand that will cost me everything in this life. Because guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The cross is all that matters. Jesus is all that matters. And he is coming. He will vindicate his own. Paul concludes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would this grace that I'm speaking to you, would the cross of Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers? Would it come upon you? Would it nourish you? Would you feed upon him, putting off all else? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your word this morning. We're th so thankful for the letter of Galatians, this epistle written both to these people and to us. Would we boast in the cross of Christ? Would we be refreshed in him even as we come to this table? And would we put all else aside? We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.